Well, good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to use that as a launching place for our study this morning, Acts chapter 11. While you're turning there, let me join with Stephen in welcoming each one. Today, we do have a number of guests in our assembly, and we recognize you, and we thank you for coming. We hope you're edified and uplifted by our time of worship together. Like Ben, I was away last Sunday as well. Figure that, two preachers, and both of them are gone. Incredible. But had a meeting in North Florida, and it was especially um, pleasurable from a personal standpoint because we went back to Norma's home county uh, where she was Miss THS. And one of the brothers from another congregation came and gave us some newspaper clippings back from 1965 where Norma has scored 32 points in a basketball game for the Trenton Tigers against Bell. Isn't that incredible? So all kinds of interesting things happen besides a good week. On a more serious and somber note, though, if you saw the national news or read my blog, just before we arrived, two Gilchrist County chef deputies were shot at point-blank range at a restaurant while eating lunch. And so that little town of 2,000 in a county of about 18,000 uh, was certainly in mourning, and it was a very difficult time for them. And so it seemed our meeting and the things that we had prepared to preach came at a very good time and a very positive and uplifting time because uh, hearts were hurting and uh, there was I think good that was done from the preaching of the gospel certainly from that standpoint too we're baptized during the week and we just had a wonderful week and it's good to be home and to be in our church family again and to be able to share some things with you this morning from the word of God as I was thinking about this lesson those of you on Facebook saw my Florida office uh, <clears throat> the other day. I came across something. It was kind of interesting. It was from a speech by a nationally well-known denominational preacher. And he was speaking before a group of Muslims that one blogger described as cozying up to extremists. But in that speech, he said to them that there are five global giants the church needs to be fighting today. And here's what he said they were. War, poverty, corruption, disease, and illiteracy. Now, I admit these are huge challenges. As concerned citizens, we ought to be concerned about doing something about them. But is that the true mission of the church? Would those be the global giants that we're reading the book of Acts? That is the work and the focus and the direction of the church? Our lesson today in Acts chapter 11 takes place in Antioch of Syria. It is a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Today it is the modern city of Antakya, Turkey. But I want us to look at the church at Antioch. And the focus of my lesson this morning is what the purpose of the church is all about. Begin reading with me in Acts 11 and verse 19. And those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. 
and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I have subtitled this lesson based on Acts 11 and verse 22, that when Barnabas came and he had seen the grace of God, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God. And so my thought is, what did Barnabas see? When he came there and what we've read about, what occurred there, what was going on when he came, what was it that he saw? Well, let me suggest five things. Much opposed to the global giants of this denominational preacher thought that church ought to be doing, that Barnabas saw that was happening in the Lord's church at Antioch. First of all, he saw that this was an evangelistic church. In fact, I would even use the word aggressive as you dig into this a little bit. The Antioch brethren saw what the purpose of the Lord was, and it says the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord, and they were added to the Lord, or they were added to the church. And as they assembled together there with the brethren, they continued to teach a lot of people. If you jump over into chapter 13 of the book of Acts, it says that these prophets and teachers, and it names them there, that these people ministered to the Lord, they fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. Now when you read on in chapter 13 and then in 14, what do you read Barnabas and Saul doing? Going out to fight illiteracy? Going out to be able to help the poor people in these areas? Being concerned about the fact they didn't have good drinking water? No. They went out preaching the gospel of Christ. And people were converted. And churches were established. And we call these the missionary journeys of Paul. But who sent them? It was the brethren, the elders at the church at Antioch. And so these brethren understood what the purpose of the church was. And so my question is, what about today? What is it that is our purpose? What should we be doing as a church? Are we reaching to the lost? Are we talking to our friends and neighbors and relatives? Are we sending out people? Are we adding to our number? William Temple made an interesting observation. He said, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, you think about that just a second. Most people think the church exists for their benefit, 
Because sometimes people will visit a church and they want to know what kind of programs they have for the young people. And what are you doing for this group? And what are you doing for that group? And we are concerned about our needs and what the elders are doing, what the church is doing for us. And it is easy to lose sight of the fact that in the early church and here in the church at Antioch, they were concerned about those that were not Christians. They were concerned about those on the outside, not just in the city of Antioch where a lot of people were converted, but all over the world. Now, for those of you that are guests this morning, I'm able to say here that this fine congregation does a lot to reach out to the lost. Not only are there local Bible studies going on, and not only are there brothers and sisters here that are very quick to help people that are seekers learn the truth and obey the gospel of Christ, we support a lot of preachers. And you know, Tim, I meant to ask you again what that number was. I think it was 28 at one time. But maybe it's more now because these elders get requests all the time. I mean, I would say monthly. I I don't know if a month goes by that there's not a request for support. Well, you can only do what you can do, but they are always looking to add more men, whether it's in this country or in the Philippines or in the continent of Africa, wherever it is. Men that want to preach the gospel of Christ and where there is a need to take the gospel to support men and doing that. And so as we contribute as we just have today, we need to be reminded that the money that we contribute goes to that. That we are having fellowship with that. And the more that we are able to give and the more resources that we're able to put in the collection plate, when these requests come, the elders are going to support more people because they're committed to that. They are committed to the aggressive outreach of the loss. Now, what about you and I? I've been very impressed, Ben, with the focus that you have put upon the work since you've been here. And I don't think that's lost on anybody. It's certainly not lost on me. I believe that this church is at a point where we're ready to move forward to greater things. That we're ready to move forward to a more aggressive outreach to the lost in this community and i tell you what i firmly believe in my heart that the shepherds that we have here that are committed to that and with the talents and the skill and the ability and the passion that benjamin has you're going to see that happen and i hope i can come back here in a couple years and this building is packed I, i believe that it could be I really believe that it could be if everybody will get on board and realize what the purpose of the church is about. It's about the outreach to the lost. Well, not only that, when Barnabas came to Antioch, what he saw were people that were meeting together to worship. I mean, it was a grace-focused, spirit-filled, God-praising assembly. He saw the grace of God when he came there. And he was glad, and he encouraged them, and they assembled together. They came together for worship. They came together for the assembly. And then we read over in chapter 13, as we noticed a moment ago, how they ministered, how they prayed. And, of course, as you know, this was a time of miraculous gifts, which has since passed. But they laid hands on them. And so I see a spiritual fervor that is there, that the church came together primarily to praise God and worship, but also to encourage one another. That was the purpose 
they assemble. Once in a while you hear folks say, well, now, Ken, you can be a Christian and you don't have to go to church. Well, you're mistaken about that. In fact, I kind of worded this. The idea of the purpose of church. Shelley sent me an email when I sent her the bullet or sermon note. She said, should this be the purpose of church or the purpose of the church? I said, well, either way is fine with me because this is the purpose of church. You see, sometimes some people in the world look at churches as building. And then sometimes even you and I as Christians, if we're not careful, we can look at the church as a third party because I hear people say they. That's the wrong pronoun, folks. It should be we. I hear people say they. Or they look at the church like some kind of a, of a club or an organization or some type of a separate entity. Did you notice it said that these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem? I read that a minute ago. Well, the building didn't have ears. <laughs> Talking about people. The purpose of people that are God's people. And so we're talking about the purpose of church. In fact, sometimes we need to think of church because we say, well, let's go to church. When I understand one definition, even in the Greek, is assembly, that we go to assembly. But if we're not careful, we can just think of the church as being right here. And then when we go home, we can't forget about church. Well, we're part of the church no matter where we go. We're part of God's church. We are the church. We are the people of God's own possession. And so God wants the church, when it is unassembled, to assemble. He wants the church to come together, and He wants us to worship. What about that? Are we interested in coming to worship? Is that our purpose today, to give delight and pleasure, to magnify the Lord and to exalt His name together? Now, you might say, well, as the expression goes, you're preaching to the choir because we're here today. Well, I know that, but once in a while, you know, my, my dad used to say that uh, even a blind hog could find an acorn once in a while. Well, maybe someone just happened in and didn't come very frequently. And if you're that person, that it, this is your time to come every fourth Sunday or sixth Sunday or eighth Sunday or whatever it is, shame on you. Shame on you. You ought to be here every time the doors are open if you're physically able to be here. The church at Antioch assembled, and Barnabas saw the grace of God. Well, not only that, he saw the fellowship of this particular church. And, and, and it was an inclusive fellowship. It was, a, it was a fellowship that reached out to Jews and Gentiles alike. We read those that were scattered after persecution, and when Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, that they began, just like Jesus said, to take the gospel to the Jews first. They began preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But then look what happened. But some of them came from Cyprus and Cyrene, and when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists. And there was some social and cultural conflict at times between the more Orthodox Jew and the Hellenist. But they were both converted, and they were both worshiping together and working together and having fellowship together in the same body. They even 
ate together and enjoyed social times together. In fact, you remember the Apostle Paul rebuked the Apostle Peter in Galatians chapter 2 about him playing the hypocrite that when the Jews came and he withdrew from Gentiles. When Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God that was there. He saw the fellowship that they enjoyed. And that reminds me that our fellowship today needs to be an inclusive fellowship. Ben mentioned in the Bible study about the lesson that he preached here last fall on racism that he preached it in. You preached that lesson in, in Memphis as well. Well, that's a wonderful lesson and one that we need to hear. And it is sad to even think that among God's people there would still even be any kind of an issue of that sort of thing. It ought not to be. It ought not to be. And the early church tells us that two groups of people that were able to come together and have fellowship together and put aside their differences because God's grace was at work. And they had fellowship together. And we need to have that kind of warm and inclusive fellowship today. I want to share with you, I, I don't want to name the name of this person because I haven't gotten permission yet, but I just, got, I just got this email just before I came home. And it was, it's one of the saddest emails I've ever gotten from someone in response to my blog. This single mother of three wrote me after my blog the other day, and she said, I was reading your new post and was once again reminded of my heartache because of what I'm being exposed to in the Lord's church. She said, I'm a new convert, was baptized just over a year ago. And I've gone through incredible persecution due to my faith from my once called family. I was married and now a single mom with three young boys because I wouldn't choose to stop going to church. My commitment to the Lord is not something I take lightly. But then she writes this to me. She says, what saddens me the most is being a new Christian and having very little, if any, fellowship at all with like-minded brothers and sisters. She said, I notice that most people are lukewarm Christians and come to church just to check it off the list, as you call it, loafing in the second base. And then she goes on and says a good deal about how that she feels like in the congregation where she's at, that people are not really following what it is being preached from the pulpit, that people are busy with their own lives. And then she says this, going to church is starting to be so discouraging because I feel so alone. I won't stop going to church because of this, but it's extremely difficult to say the least. It breaks my heart to see people wanting to be Christians with one foot out the door and one in the world. I've read many books this past year about early Christians and desire to be like them. I find it difficult that I don't have many Christians to look up to and learn how to live in the secular world. Isn't that sad? Now, I don't know any of the circumstances surrounding that, but as I read this whole email, it sounds like this sister's in a situation where it's not good. But I, as I read that, I wonder how many other brothers and sisters might be a member, maybe a new convert in the church somewhere, and people fall into their little cliques and don't have time for the new member, for the person that maybe is a single mom or a single dad 
or widowed or divorced or what, whatever the situation might be. We need to work harder, I think, brethren, at being warm and inclusive in our fellowship with everyone. Well, what else did Barnabas see when he came to Antioch? Well, he saw disciples growing. Discipleship. People seeking to becoming like Christ. And the way they were doing that was through teaching. And he encouraged these people that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. You know, this is the second part of the Great Commission. That Jesus commissioned the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he also commissioned them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so discipleship should take place. We need to be reminded that discipleship is not an event, but it's an ongoing process. See, baptism is an event. It happens once. We're not baptized every week or every time we sin. We are baptized and born again in the family of God, aren't we? But discipleship is not something to just say, well, that happened. Well, it's kind of like getting married. Right? Well, it is a little bit because you have a wedding ceremony. Well, what should happen then? Well, then you've got to work on the marriage. It's a process, isn't it, guys and gals? <laughs> got to work at it. I'm coming up on 50 years, my wife and I, in August. Guess what? I don't want to discourage you young couples. We're still working on it. I'm still learning. <laughs> You'll always be learning. You know, and that's the way in the Christian life, that you never get too old to learn. And the uh, two years I've been here, you all taught me some things. I, I, I continue to learn some things. And you get into the Word or someone comments on a verse, and you hear something, you continue to learn, and you continue to grow. So do we understand that's our purpose, that we should be about discipleship, seeking to become more like Christ? That'd make a good theme for the year, wouldn't it? Well, that is our theme this year, becoming like Christ. But it requires discipleship, being taught and learning and growing and working and developing. Well, Finally, what Barnabas saw at Antioch was ministry. He saw people that were compassionate and serving the needs of others. Let's pick up in verse 27 of our text in Acts 11. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, they had the advantage of a prophet to know about the famine ahead of time. We just recently sent some money to a famine. We didn't have a prophet, because there none exists today, to tell us ahead of time it was coming. But once we learned of it, we could do something about it. Well, they knew about ahead of time. They knew this famine was coming. And look at this, according to their ability. It was observed in the Bible class this morning when it was in Acts 4 and 5 about the contribution for saints there and how they brought the proceeds to the disciples to disperse it to needy saints. But it was voluntary. 
And it was each according to the ability. But they determined to do it, and they sent a relief. By the way, it was brethren, I believe in limited benevolence based on this and several other New Testament passages. They determined to do it, but I think it's interesting the Holy Spirit said, this they also did. Have you ever had, have you ever thought about something that you're going to do that's a good idea? And you, you know, I'm going to do this. Some of you are grinning. <laughs> and you never get around to it. It slips your mind and a week later or a month later, you go, oh man, I didn't get that done. Well, they did it. They determined to do it and they did it. What about today? Well, we recently sent some money to brethren in, in the continent of Africa that are hurting. Is it Zimbabwe? Is that? Okay, I was thinking that was right. Uh, a substantial amount of money. And then during the hurricane and the floods down in Houston, we sent money down there to help. That's scriptural. That's what they did in Acts chapter 11. That's serving the needs of other people. But you know what? We don't have to wait to hear about a famine in Zimbabwe or a, or a hurricane or tornado devastating someone. There may be a lot of opportunities for us just to take some money of our own pocket, Galatians 6.10, and help someone. We don't have to wait for the elders to do it. There may be someone in our acquaintanceship that we know that we can do good and we can help them. That's our purpose. That's what the church at Antioch was all about. That's what Barnabas saw when he came to Antioch. Now, what do you suppose Barnabas would see if he came here? Well, I hope you'd see all five of those things. Now, I want you to see something here. We talked about purpose, and the word was used in our text this morning. What was the purpose of these things that we have read about and talked about this morning? Well, I think to break it down into a single word, it was worship, fellowship, discipleship, service, and sharing. We see that right there in this text. Now, we've been studying Acts. In our, we got it in our Bible reading. We got it in our Bible class, and now we're preaching on it some more. Well, Turn back over one more time, Ben, the rest of you, to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see something here that is pretty interesting. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This is after those on the Pentecost heard the word, believed it, were baptized, 3,000 were added, and they continued, verse 42, steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now look at that. Acts 2, starting in 42, what do we see? We see the same five things at Jerusalem. Exactly. Now, I don't have time to develop all that this morning. Some of this, and I've alluded to it, are collective. Some of them are individual like going from house to house and having breaking bread from house to house and enjoying hospitality and fellowship together. Some of those are individual things. Some of them are collective and joint things they did together. But the exact same five things. 
So what do we see there? Well, conceptually, we see that the purpose of church is to be a God-praising church, a family-bonded church, a Bible-teaching church, a need-serving church, and a soul-winning church. That was true in the very first church in Jerusalem, 11 or 9 chapters later in Acts 11. We see it in Antioch, the same five things. But you see, that takes work. That takes effort. You ever do a task list? Anybody got a planner and you do your task list? Some of you, yeah. Well, here's the task. The task then is to exalt God, encourage one another in fellowship, edify one another through the word, equip the saints for ministry, and then to reach out in evangelism of the lost. That's our task. That's our purpose. That's what we are to be all about. It was true at Jerusalem. It was true at Antioch, and it ought to be true at West Main and Louisville, Texas. Isn't that right? Let me close with this verse. In Acts 13, I think it's 36, great epitaph there is given about King David. That when David had served God's purpose and his generation, he died and was buried with his fathers. David served God's purpose in his generation. You know what? You and I are here, ladies and gentlemen, to serve God's purpose in our generation. And like David, one day we will die and be planted in a cemetery somewhere with our fathers, and then it'd be over. Won't be any more opportunities to do any of those things. Be too late then. But while we're here and alive and now we can serve God's purpose. And so I call upon myself, I call upon you and all of us together, no matter where we are, whether we're in Louisville or Ontario, Canada, or wherever it is, to serve God's purpose and to carry out what he would have us to do. May God bless us to that end. You sure have listened good this morning. I wonder if there's one here who's never obeyed the gospel. Would you, like those in Jerusalem and in Antioch, believe Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess your allegiance to him as the Lord of lords and King of kings, and be buried in water for the remission of your sins and have the blood of Jesus wash away every sin, spot and stain, and raise you to walk in newness of life. If you wandered away from that confession and profession, we invite you to come back home, make your life right with God, and continue to serve the Lord. There is a great day coming. I hope you're ready. Would you stand and sing and come if you're back? Amen. Amen.